On Star Trek, there's never a religion of peace. Definitely the case on V'ger Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. What's that? Nobody else wants to talk stupid Star Trek from 20 years ago with you? At lunch, at work? Don't worry, we're here. I'm your co-host, Peter. There's a good segue, Peter, into someone I wanted to shout out. And that is probably the first time I ever met a fan IRL that wasn't a person I previously knew from either other shows or other parts of my life. Uh, And that person is Marcus. Marcus, if you're out there, you're listening. I think you are, because uh, certainly you knew uh, all of our episodes and were eager to talk to Star Trek with me for an hour and a half. Uh, Thanks for coming out to dinner. I happen to be in Portland recently for my job, and I just kind of randomly said, is there any of you that live in Portland to our social media? I randomly said to myself, you know what? Maybe I want to get stabbed by someone through the internet. You know what? (laughs) Let me just meet a rando. Stabbing is on the menu. Who cares about Portland? It's... Meeting strangers from the internet. Well, they're not strangers. They uh, are people who listen to my voice a lot, which is probably worse. Listen, I saw a Stephen King movie, and this guy met up with a fan, and he got tied to a bed, and his legs broken. So that's why I met him in a well lit place at a, a big Italian restaurant in downtown mm-hmm. Portland. Mm. But it turns out Marcus is a very nice guy. He's uh he he works in uh, the Oregon area and. He was eager to um, uh, talk track after, and uh, I, I happily bought him dinner uh, for the for for taking the drive to to come and say hey. So Marcus, thanks a lot. Uh, and if I'm wandering around the country and I say hey, do I have any fans here? And someone responds, please don't break my legs with a hammer. Uh, I promise I'll just buy you a meal. Um, I uh, is- I'm waiting. I'm I'm saving my inaugural fan meetup until I'm up in the polar circle. You know, that that's going to be a high EV trip because you're going to find all, all, like a whole cluster mm-hmm. of our fans there. And be like, you're the one. You're yeah. the one that this crazy psycho that I've been stuck at McMurda Station with mm-hmm. has taught, forced us to listen to over and over again. My body will never decompose because it's so cold. You're going to have like a whole the thing mm-hmm. experience there where you're the one running from them. And it's not because you're an alien, you know. Yeah. We got other shout outs, though. Uh, Bring we, should, we should, as always, thank uh, Ian and Sarah, who've produced all of our opening music through uh, the 260 episodes of our or so of our show that we've done so far. So thank you to them. And, you know, I was thinking about them the other day. And had I had the forethought. <clears throat> Actually, I'm going to blame you. This is your fault that we've okay. never done this. I, I accept you this already. Go ahead. Should have known since you're the one who already watched Enterprise how many stupid time travel episodes there were. And you should have, when we uh, got them to make us the enterprise intro also said, Hey, can you give us a real shitty cover of the quantum leap intro? So as we hit these time travel episodes, that is my fault. I should have thought of that there. I knew there was a whole temporal cold war plot. Is there a lot of like silly time travel yet to come? Is this something we need to reach out to them on? There's definitely silly time travel yet to come. Are they going to go to Rome and uh, ancient Egypt? And I don't know. I, I'm not going to tell you the 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 climax of the shitty time travel plot has to be seen to be believed. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what also needs to be seen to be believed is the quantity of content on our Patreon, which you know that's a nice got, pivot. It, hey, I'm an expert. I'm a professional. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Licensed. We've got a tank review of Tank Girl, which. For, may be our best work of all time about the worst work we've ever personally watched. Uh, we have a review of reanimator uh, that we did. That was, uh, I think awesome because it was a real role reversal where you were the one leading the discussion and very enthusiastic about the genre. And I was more the tourist and it was, it was a fun flip on our usual dynamics. If you think that'd be cool, check that out. Plus two of our three Picard reviews are up there of Picard season three. We've reviewed the first eight episodes. We had two more to go. So we've got yet more content coming soon. So if any of that is interest to you and you'd like to help us defray the podcast bills, uh, a, a mere $3 will set you up nicely. And there's also some dribs and drabs of some extra discussions we've had through the years. I also put up 
one of those discussions actually for everybody, which was us talking about just the, the, the current state of mass media companies like Disney and what are they doing with their audience? What are they doing with their product? Trying to make sense of the world. I put that on SoundCloud, put the link out to everyone. So check that out as well. That's it. That's all my shout outs, Peter. I just wanted to put put all of our content into the universe. Thank our fans. Thank our contributors. Well, now the thank yous are out of the way. Now that you've said grace enough time, let's, let's get into season three, episode 12, Chosen Realm. First aired January 14th, 2004, written by Manny Cotto, directed by Roxanne Dawson. This is by far her least sexy episode yet. <laughs> it's restrained. Let's talk uh, right monastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Manny Cotto is a name that we had uh, some discussion pop up. I don't know if it was in the trauma support group on Facebook, if it was the discord conversation. But someone basically basically said, uh, keep an eye on Manny Cotto. He is going to be the guy that really salvages uh, Enterprise. Is this a name you're familiar with? Yeah, he ends up one of the co-showrunners in season four. So it's not just as a director, but as a uh, a writer, as a um, or rather not just as a writer, but as a um, uh, guiding creative force. And some of the episodes to come that he has uh, uh, credit on are among the best that an enterprise has to offer. So he is. He is uh, spoken of highly for good reason. So this episode, a um, little bit of a product of the time, huh? I had really kind of forgotten about this one entirely. I, I actually, when I thought I knew how it ended, I was thinking of an entirely different episode. And I started watching it and, you know, you get the teaser and it wasn't familiar to me. and. Then when the guy came on screen for the first time, when he was in sick bay and his tone of voice and the way he talked, it suddenly remembered that this was this was the, the Al Qaeda episode. <laughs> like this is when space Al Qaeda takes over the ship and it's just. One hundred and eighty percent a product of its time. This is this is a bunch of fundamentalist religious would be terrorists uh, taking over the ship uh, who will suicide bomb and sacrifice life uh, to achieve their aims. And they're total psychos who will just kill people because their God told them to. And they are resistant to reason of any kind. And they have a dispute with another religious sect that seems to be extraordinarily minor and over details that don't matter. So you got the Sunnis and the Shias. <laughs> in space and enterprise America is in the middle trying to talk reason to these people. They just don't want to listen. And America's got the really cool guns and they got like real shitty guns and we could blow them up anytime, but we're just trying to make peace. I, it's just, there it is boys. It's interesting that you frame the episode in, uh, Al Qaeda, ISIS lenses, yeah. because me watching it in September, I'm sorry, in uh, June, of 2023. Um, I almost looked at it. This is uh, a, we, we going for Christian fundamentalism here. Like, yeah. Like if, if, if in 2004, it would have been Islamic terrorism. And if in 2023, you can choose to look at it as like Christian nationalism. It's the same shit, right? Religious fundamentalists. Well, that's the, I will say that is the beauty of Star Trek at times, or at least in this episode, where because these guys aren't covered in like vaguely Arabic wrappings like this, these aren't the guys from Desert Crossing, right? Right, right. They're very much just religious, not right. specifically there's not Arab that clearly, or Islamic. There's not that clear racial stereotype to it. It's what feels like for Enterprise a rare moment where you can say they're telling a moral story and it is not. At the time, it may have been specifically targeting uh you know Osama bin Laden or whatever but they kept it vague enough that as it's aged the 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 you you can you can frame whatever group you're pointing a finger at and saying no back off the 
back off the thing you're doing. In this case, it's uh, blind religious faith. No, you're absolutely violence. right. Like the the DNA of this episode is generic enough that it applies to religious fundamentalism gone amok, regardless of the prism that you decide to interpret it through. I definitely think the intention was Islam at the time, because mm-hmm. that was just what was on the mind of every human. But like you said, they kept it generic and made it very specific to the plot of Enterprise and this season specifically that it's linked to in a way that makes it so that it holds up such that you don't need that context necessarily to get what they're saying. Uh, and also, I think it helps the, the, the religious angle work in the episode way better uh, that you know, they're kind of primitive. They don't really understand what the spheres are. They have this religious reverence for them. And because it's tied into the plot more than just preachy nonsense, it endures better than it might have otherwise. And also, again, there's not a cheap stereotype at play that distracts you from the plot. And that's been a problem with a lot of these enterprises. It's like, Ooh, that's a little too on the nose. And I, again, I'll go back to desert crossing on that where we had some disagreements, but like, I felt it was too much. I felt it started really bordering on stereotypes in a bad way. And it pulled you out of the episode a little bit. Um, I'm not going to say this is, uh, I don't know if I would even call it a good episode. It wasn't a bad episode, but more importantly, after the string of episodes we've had, and let's go back to the shipment, which is where the sloth guys help Archer because they find out that they're, uh, their go juice is being used for bombs, right? And that's the first real latching on that Archer does to push the Zindi plot forward uh, into Twilight, which is what happens when uh, we see as the audience what the failure looks like and really lights a fire under ass to care about this plot. Right. Yeah, like Earth is on the line. They could easily fuck this up. Big stakes. I hope you guys are jazzed. Everybody ready to learn about the Zindi? Because Westworld, we're cowboys. <laughs> People are getting lynched. Let's go to North Star. Planet Trigun. <laughs> We've quantum leaped into, into Westworld. Like, flick the needle off the record. Like, well, who the fuck cares about Westworld? I want to learn about the fucking Zindi. Oh, similitude. This isn't about the Zindi specifically, but this is also communicating there's big stakes here. Archer's willing to do some borderline evil shit because he is gun-ho about this mission. Flick the record again. Hey, actually, we're going to go do... Uh, we're going to do some gig work for uh, Time Zuck. Time Zuck, yeah. I'm going to go fucking Uber back in what may have been 1976 and or 2004. Uh, and now we're back into this Chosen Realm, which, again, isn't pushing the Zindi plotline forward specifically, but Archer has... A big problem he's trying to deal with, tracking down the Zindi. He's a busy guy. And now he's getting roped into some bullshit that it could. There is no part of this bullshit that will be good. So uh, this, I think, is a solid side story to tell without ignoring the main thrust of the plot. The way that shit like uh, North Star and Carpenter Street did. I mean, ultimately, you're still trying to fill... 26 episodes this season to, you know, have it be just a complete running, always furthering the same plot line. Right. But this is the right way to do flow. Exactly. Right. Like if you're good, you got to have filler because you can't always just be doing the plot, but the filler has to be related to what's going on. It has to be you know, speaking to what's going on. It has to be in that world, even if it's not like yeah, either on the trail of the weapon this week or they well, found listen, we're this. We're talking Enterprise in that world and or in that uh, current year. Yes. Because that's a that's a pothole we have to avoid as well as oops, I'm back in time again. The teaser is Trip and Mayweather scanning another Mayweather! Sphere. Surprise! Look at that. He gets, he gets, There's a guy, his name's Mayweather. He's actually in the show, believe it or not. You know, he didn't get to be a cowboy, you know, because there weren't any black people on that planet. You know, see how they side sidestep that? 
they, they sidestepped that question real hard, right? Here's why <laughs> they weren't. Let, why let is me, it let me... down here? It's like, because these people are from 1860 America. <laughs> like, they don't know if the black person showed up, they'd fucking notice. That's also why the Asian isn't here. <laughs> <laughs> we make all white people for a reason, folks. <laughs> let me uh, let me try to uh, explain why the writers didn't include Mayweather. It's because uh, it's bad enough they had to make the Makos look like garbage in a fight. You couldn't have Mayweather there because he would have just sacked that rotten deputy and gave him a stone cold stunner or. <laughs> Gorilla press that fool through a wall or something. Mayweather would have been too much firepower to bring down. I, I regret that we missed this when we did when we did uh, North Star, but what a great moment it would have been if they're like, okay, let's beam down, let's take a look what's going on, let's get some cowboy gear on, and no one thinks that like Mayweather shouldn't be on this away team mission because these fools are from anti the anti Bellum America. They're gonna be like, what is a slave doing here? <laughs> and they just show up and then their cowboy gear and be like, who are you people? And why did you bring a black person? <laughs> like, What's going on? This is weird. Yeah, that would have been a can of worms. Uh, and that's exactly the kind of stuff that you'd never see. Of course, that's more like an Orville episode where they're just like too enlightened. God, to, and like remember like that kind of thing was something they should consider. It's like, oh, shit, we used to be garbage. Fuck. <laughs> we... I had two people pop off. I forget which one of our episodes, but I was trying to remember the holodeck episode where they're like, we can't just give you technology and fix your problems for you. We did that before. And it was the downfall of a civilization. And I thought it was like Voyager and it was the Orville. It was the last episode of season three and it was fucking amazing. And, uh, goes to show how good McFarlane's writing is. And Orville is that it is, so Star Trek that like my brain has saved those moments as perfect Federation um, headcanon moments. So uh, Mayweather trip, they're out there. They're doing stuff I enjoy, which is mapping the spheres. Yeah. Trying to make sure they can keep an eye on all these spatial anomalies that they have to dip, dud, dodge, dive and duck. Because they cannot coat the ship in Trillium D, uh, which prevents nasty things from happening when the ship crosses through it. So their compromise has been, if we can find enough of these, we can triangulate where the rest are and where their, their fuckery ley lines uh, cross each other. That's where the real bad anomalies are. So they're speeding around, they're mapping it. They go to leave. They cross through the cloaking field. Uh, Trip even mentions to Mayweather, Hey, we're getting pretty good at this. And then we cut over to some slightly villainous music. Uh, there's Enterprise on their view screen. These guys are observing from afar what's happening. The guy goes, what's the weapons capability of that ship? They go, it's high. and goes, perfect. I think this is what we want. So we know right off the jump, this dude is nefarious. And this dude, we will come to find out, is... Uh, pre- what's, what's his name? Pre... I think he's just called the Pranam. His name um, is DJ DJ Amma DJ Am DJ a villain uh Dejamet uh, yeah this I guy's think- played by Connor O'Farrell which he's got a nice pedigree of being a bad guy because this is uh one of the Dick Sporting Goods customers from Rogue Planet just the classic not villains of Rogue Planet <laughs> you know like those guys were not really the bad guys in that episode. Yeah, uh, the guy came back and said, listen, guys, I'm I'm happy to play another character on Enterprise. But this time, if you're going to give me a villain, can you give me like a for real villain? They yeah, go, just you know make what? me Osama bin Laden. <laughs> just, <laughs> let's go on in. Let's like next last time. I think I came off a little too sympathetic. Can I just be Osama? And that's what I'm going to call it. Take Osama. And I didn't really watch. I mean, obviously, I haven't watched DS9, but I get some of the the Bajoran head clergy lady off this guy a little bit. Yeah, there's some Kai Wynn here. Um, I, the, it's hard not to see the the 
sort of vague spirituality similarity between this and the Bajoran religion because it's so, you know, purposefully not trying to be anything specific and therefore it becomes its specific thing. Uh, but Kaiwin, you'll get to experience the glory of Kaiwin, who is actually the most villainous figure in the history of Star Trek. And I mean that wholeheartedly way worse than the Borg. Kaiwin is the worst. And uh, this guy is bad, but he ain't nowhere near that. No, so this guy launches a dessert. I forget. Is uh, Archer talking to someone when he gets the distress signal? Yeah, he's talking to to Paul. I think she's going over and saying, look at all this info. We've really made some real gains on mapping uh, the anomalies in here. The conversation gets cut short because they get the distress call from DJ Amot. He's like, help us. We got hit by one of the anomalies. We need help, please. And Archer's a little... A little wary, right? Like, yeah, smartly, like full, you know, let's take this nice and easy. Let's get there. Let's we've keep been guns mugged, on them. We've been mugged several times. I've had to hunt down our stolen supplies. We've had I, I think the ship may have been hijacked once or twice. I don't know. Yeah, well, the super the super Hitlers did get them that one time when they like took those guys in refuge. The po- also other. Yes. Listen, I'm going to tell you in. In space, if guys have ponytails, they're problems. Yes, put them in the airlock. Fuck them. (laughs) So they fly over. He goes, hey, Reed, I want full security precaution. Reed must have been um, trying to remember a song he heard once because there are no security precautions. Osama and his boys are in in the med bay. Flock says they won't let me scan them because they're super religious, but I have used my my manual doctoring skills to determine that uh, they're mostly okay. And they're like, we're just pilgrims route here in the chosen realm, which is why they call the terminus systems. And uh, we like to visit the holy spheres and that the, we've been touched by the maker's breath and they have a whole myth in regards to the spheres that are causing the anomalies and that they are the creation of a creator race Roughly a thousand years ago, which corroborates what T'Pol said, that these are about a thousand years old. Correct. And that this they're remaking the 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 Terminus systems to be a paradise for when they return. And so they pilgrim. They're on a pilgrimage to visit one of the spheres in their little ship. And right away, Osama does not enjoy talking to T'Pol when he gets invited to dinner because he's very religious about this. And T'Pol's being very uh Vulcan and scientific about it. And Archer's like, let's please not argue about this over my steak. And this gets showcased. This gets showcased with some hard facts to very clearly illustrate that these guys who are what what race are they? They get a name. Trianon. 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 Um Oh, uh, there's thousands of spears. And then Paul goes, no, actually, there's 51. And then he's like, bitch, you're wrong. Okay, the Bible says, or the Quran, or whatever. <laughs> whatever the zeitgeist of uh, evil religion is. Two, this 2,000 of them, or whatever, yeah. And she's like, well, actually, no. And I'm going to sit here and argue with about it. And Archer's just like, please, if these space Amish want to believe that there's a thousand spheres, like, just... It's not even worth Uh, his hope was that he could do some information exchange, but this uh, alien race part of their religion is that they don't get too close. They're not there to uh, analyze or record data. In fact, what they're out there looking for is to be touched by the maker's breath, as you put it, or as Enterprise would call it, the anomalies, which can do things like twist your fucking face off like a loose piece of baloney as is what happened to one of their crew members that Archer saw in the sick bay. And this is something we saw the space pirates that really ran hot game on enterprise early in the season. And this guy even admits like, look at my arm. I've been touched by the maker's breath as well. And you see some pretty heavy scarring on his forearm. So these guys are just as they would lead you to believe buzzing around the spheres, looking to hit anomaly pockets uh, because that's how they get high, basically. That's that's their version of licking a toad's butt, I think. And Space Osama is a true believer. There's no space 
left in that regard throughout the entire episode. Whatever you think of the guy, he definitely believes this shit. And his all of his actions are 100% committed as a consequence. And we see that very quickly because after the dinner scene. Well, hold on. Before we leave the dinner scene, like the, the part I really like is Archer's like, we're here. We're looking for information on an alien race called the Zindi. And then this dude's like, oh, I've never heard of the Zindi. We don't really explore and we don't care about other people. Like we only do the space travel thing to try and like get closer to the spheres. And Archer should have been like, okay, well, get the fuck off my ship. Man. Like, you right, are well, let's fix you. I'll fix- zero point zero use to me. The fuck out of here. I mean, he, he does like offer to give them information about the spheres or whatever. There was some there's some tiny bit of useful information that could be found here. But yeah, like they strike out immediately on Cindy information. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ, no one in this goddamn sector has even heard of these guys every time. So Space Osama is talking with two of his boys in the mess hall. And I don't understand the OPSEC here. Because there's like a bunch of witnesses that should have heard them have this sinister ass conversation, but whatever. And they're like, no, we have to be ready uh, to to take action against these people because they are heretics that have, uh, you know, defiled the spheres. And, you know, there's been suggestion that the ship itself is their goal already. And, you know, they the guy he's convincing ends up being important because there is essentially. Yeah, there's there's Mr. Nibley and Mrs. Nibley, who are the doubting members of the flock. And this is your first introduction that this guy has got dudes who aren't necessarily 100 percent bought in like him. Yeah, they're not. uh, They're they're starting to check out on sparkle motion. In fact, has Mrs. Nibley talked to flocks yet? She goes in to talk to Flox before the next scene because the next scene's when it all pops off. So you see Mrs. Nibbly go in and be like, I want to talk to you about a procedure. And Flox's like, oh, sure. Let me get you some tea. Take a seat. And I'm happy to talk about medicine. And you don't really get any detail on that for a bit. And then Space Osama rolls into Archer's office. T'Pol excuses herself and goes like, hey, told you I'd be able to repay you. And I'm going to repay you. By positioning suicide bombers all throughout your ship, I will destroy it if you don't give it to me. And we see this demonstrated through a guy going all for full Durka Durka Muhammad Jihad, getting on his knees, random crew member just walking through the halls with data pad like, hey, what's this no weird- expression on her face? What she the way she watches what's about to transpire is how anybody else would watch someone who um takes out a pen and paper and starts writing something against the wall. Yeah. Like not like, Hey, what's going on here? Not then no human reaction to what's going on. This extra got zero direction as to facial expression, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy pulls out his hunger games pendant, <laughs> jams yep. himself in the arm. And apparently uh, the suicide bomb is I thought that uh, pen refer- was more like the King's hand from Game of Thrones. Oh, you're right. Because it's got the, the thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say it's more of a King's hand thing. And you, he, he stabs himself in the arm and it activates an explosion. We see a whole bulkhead get blown out. A uh, piece of the, the hull get blown out. And that apparently that random extra got uh, evaporated. So that's the second confirmed for sure death. Some other crew members may have probably died during one of the many Zindi raiding parties onto Enterprise. But at this point, this is the only we can say for sure she did. Yes. So now lost crew to uh, space pirates that used to be fur traders and some uh, some some space Amish. So. Uh, this episode, in many ways, reminded me of the Sad Sacks from Voyager. But whereas the Sad Sacks took over just by transporting in and overcrowding the place, <laughs> at least these guys are a little bit more kinetic. Archer, standing there while this guy who has already proven himself to be uh, ignorant and stubborn, comes into his ready room and starts monologuing in his face like, 
Archer has been impetuous in the past and quick to throw a punch. I think knocking the teeth out of this guy's mouth before he could finish his sentence. Really, if I was Archer, I'd blame T'Pol for not staying in for the conversation and just popping his ass on the neck. What is wild about the sequence is that he comes in, he tells Archer, hey, I'm about to take over your ship with a bunch of suicide bombers. And then he gets out a communicator and he's right there. He's in, he is in head wound distance. Mm -hmm. Archer, all he has to do is take one step forward and just the communicator out of his hand and just had a real sexy brawl. Just punch him. Just take him out. Put him in the baby chair, the punishment chair, and just work him. Just work him over. And instead, he just kind of lets him do it. Put him on the dinner potty. And then, like, the guy blows himself up, and then he comes out of the the ready room and is, like, giving orders, and then the guy just, like, saunters behind him and be like, I got two guys next to the engine. You want me to call them next? And be like, no one is stopping this man. No one's punching this man. No one is, like, preventing him from doing this. Hold on, I'm Jonathan Archer. You're the bad guy. Just just so we can be clear, you're not like telepathic, right? Like you did just have to call those guys to trigger the bomb. So like, I slap that comm out of your hand and like shoot you with one of the many guns I have taped to the wall here, or we just punch each other in the face until I finally come. But like, <laughs> I have a lot of agency right now to stop your plan there's yeah. you have no I went, backup i went to the school that those romulan secret agents with you tape a glocks all over whenever you think that you got a security issue i've learned from my mistakes he Some had them taped all over the place when the vulcan cenobite came in there and beat him up just gonna grab this thing from under the table i'm gonna shoot you with it mm-hmm. then i'm gonna quietly call trip and be like trip are the are are the weirdos there yeah just shoot them both Right now, just stun them, St- hard stun them, and pull their bodies. Away. Jump off the top of the warp core and attack them with a pipe, like you did when the space pirates came in. We'll I know even do some guitar. Those. We'll even do some sweet synth guitar. Archer could have very easily cracked this fool over the head with his statue of uh, Zephyr Cockrum. That he uh, did. He no, he didn't do that yet because that was an alternate reality. Right, he killed a man with an alternate reality. We know, we know that that Zephram Cockrum statue stands ready to murder. Instead, he just kind of lets it happen. So that was very sloppy, right? Like It's very sloppy consistently, and I don't know if this is a Roxanne Dawson criticism I should have here that... I think so. I think like, uh, this is just not well-directed. There's so many one-on-ones that Archer has where this guy's just running his fucking mouth. There's no... He has dismissed the armed guards. He has left himself alone with Archer. And Archer just has no reason not to clobber this fucking guy. And instead sits there like a victim and allows him to, you know, terrorize the ship, essentially. It would be a little different. Obviously, no matter what they do, they have to clean up the beginning of this to make it more you know, like the order has gone in before he reveals what's going on, or there has to be a very clear contingency or something that prevents violence from being the answer. There's a million ways you could do it. But to me, the, the, the way they could have done it is demonstrate the credibility of these guys willing to like throw themselves onto the warp core and explode the place without, without a hesitation in some fashion other than what they did. Cause they, they have the one guy blow himself up in the hallway and then everyone else, you don't know anything about except the doubting Thomases. And so if you're Archer, like, okay, one of your guys was willing to blow himself up. Are all of them willing to blow themselves up? I obviously have the answer to that. No. So if I just jam this phaser in your face, pull the trigger and then just bum rush these guys. They're going to be confused. They're going to be looking to your leadership and I'm going to have the initiative. And that's way better than letting you run this place. Like my odds are higher to survive in that circumstance. And there's just none of that that goes All on it here. would have taken, and I don't know if this is Manny Cotto's script, which I think ultimately it would have been, but just here. Uh, hey, Archer, I've, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reward you for what you've done for us. Pull out a phaser, hold him at gunpoint, I'm taking over the ship, and if you defy me, I will start blowing up sections of the ship. And then Archer goes, I don't believe you. And then the guy pulls out a radio while holding Archer at a gunpoint and says, hallway guy, blow yourself up. Boom. All right, you want some more of this shit? This is real. 
I don't want to do it. Don't make me do it. Yeah, no, you you just found the line we're talking about. A gun, a- pulling a gun on somebody, the most Star Trek thing to do, and this guy didn't do it. So, you know, the next couple scenes kind of establishes Space Osama's, you know, I'm I'm setting up command. I'm kind of forcing some of the key crew members to do things against their will. I have them blow up my old ship and we're leaving that behind kind of like, Which... a, like the Klingons in Voyager. Did they? Yeah. They self-destructed their own ship to force themselves on the Voyager so they could uh, be next to their savior, which was Bolana's kid. Remember? Yeah. I, they don't really clarify why it was. He blew up his ship, but they do. whatever they, they, they said that's part of their, uh, their prophecy was that they would have to leave their old ship behind once they found the, the savior. If it was Voyager, I'd be like, well, that's I'd be pissed about those two fucking torpedoes because that's a limited good. <laughs> um, the scene I like. Is where Dajaran or whatever the fuck Dajamat goes and confronts Archer again and says, um, by the way, I'm totally psycho. And because you have done one of the most unholy of holies. And landed on because I've been reading all of your logs because again all your shit's unencrypted which you didn't learn from the last time Nazis took you over in the ponytail the last time ponytail people fucked you over (laughs) (laughs) and you guys don't understand what a password is Uh, I've been reading all of your logs I see the the extent that you have defiled the spheres by flying around landing on Going inside one. Yeah. Going inside one. Like you guys are naughty and my religion dictates that I should kill all of you. But because I'm an inconsistent character under this script. uh, I'm going to reduce your sentence because ultimately I am aware of the fact that you did risk your lives to come and save us, even though also uh, by risking your life, it means of flying near the anomalies which we covet the anomalies because it's the maker's breath so again plot hole whatever uh so instead of killing your entire crew like i should be oh by the way i'm using your ship as a war machine to go uh kill the infidels back on my planet yeah i'm it's this is total naked your ship is an amazing piece of warfare relative to our technology and we're just gonna it's the first it's the first time you've ever heard this but wow your guns are so big (laughs) I'm like a Mexican. <laughs> I'm in awe. And <laughs> what a what a big gun it is. It shoots so hard, so much. The so, last time you heard that was uh, Reed hearing it from the blonde lady. Oh, yeah. And it Cogenitor. Is, That's the only Osama wants all of that phaser all over his face. And because of that, he's taking the ship and he's only going to kill one crew member. Instead of the entire crew, because he's merciful. And but... We've also got to delete your heresies and you see him hard reset all of their data on everything they've collected in the expanse. Two things we now know about Starfleet computer systems. One, there's no passwords Two, for your C <laughs> for your mission. Crit- they, they built a whole room around how important this information is, right? Mm-hmm. This command center. It's a command center, right? Yeah. Yeah. This this. This darkened movie theater self-buy kiosk area. The self-ticketing area. They put it in because this information is so important. But there's no passwords. And also, apparently, no backups. Because this dude just wipes the whole fucking database right there. And Archer's pissed. And I did like that scene. Not only is Archer uh, told he has to find someone to sacrifice. But basically, the past, what, six months? of efforts that they've made to crack this Zindi problem all just got fucking deleted. We do get an interlude where we find out about Mr. and Mrs. Nibley and that apparently Mrs. Nibley asked flocks for an abortion because both Mr. and Mrs. Nibley aren't too keen on the whole uh, religious zealot lifestyle let alone bringing a child into it that would be, you know, indoctrinated into the same. And yeah. So, oh God, bringing a baby into this cult might be a bad idea. What do we do? And 
I, curiously, this plot line is never finished, by the way. Probably a wise decision. I don't think you necessarily want Star Trek coming down either way on abortion. Uh, <laughs> but that is how we get introed into the Doubting Thomases to say they're, they've got serious doubts about what's going on. And so this is clearly Archer's attempt, way in eventually to manipulate members of the cult. Mrs. Nibley specifically, her concern is that she does not believe the war will ever truly be over and that the child will be raised as a soldier into a life of violence uh, and servitude. So it's not we disagree with the religion. It's this isn't and that's what will be what Archer exploits is that this is going against the religion at this point with the extremist and the violence and we don't want this kid coming up in here. Uh, there's another scene where Archer and uh, Jamat reconnect and the guy goes, you know, I've been reading more of your logs. You and I are not that dissimilar. You know, we're the same person. Uh, you have tortured people. I torture people. And also, while we're at it, uh, here's a delightful story about how I killed a child. It's definitely a seem to establish that this man is a committed ideologue that he is willing to convey this story, but they do keep away from making him cartoonishly monstrous, which is, I think a key decision. He relates the story with a degree of regret. He is not saying it was good that I killed this child. It was necessary that I killed this child which is a clear and clean difference to kind of tell you where this guy's at in terms of a moral compass. He's a, he's a psycho for sure, but he's, he's a, a mot- bad guy, but sure. he's a motivated, uh, idealistic psycho with a religious belief that in- inculcates him from the, from the moral damage he is doing as a consequence of his actions. So he can recognize kill the six year old. This was unfortunate. I did not wish to do this, but I am forgiven in the eyes of the creators. All in their done in their service is a moral good. Uh, and as much as this individual act is something that I do not have and enjoy engaging in, I know that in doing so, uh, I am serving my gods. Therefore, I can accept this. I like that. I like that spot because if you make them too cartoonish, it's like he's just waiting for him to get got. But if you give him some texture around why he's doing what he's doing, it makes what he's doing more interesting, even if he's clearly still the bad guy. Yeah, and they touched on this in... What was the Herogen versus the holograms? Mm, I know which ones had... you're talking about. Is that two-parter? One of them was like blood something. I forget the titles of the episodes, but... But the, uh, Bajoran... with the, with the Bajoran guy, yeah. You know, so this is a spot again that Star Trek's good at creating, and it's the motivated zealot who, as you put it, is not monstrous for the sake of being monstrous, but is monstrous nonetheless and poses a real threat. So he tries to have that. You know, you and I aren't so aren't so different. And then Archer's like, uh, I don't know, man. I'm not <coughs> here bragging about killing a fucking six year old. He's like, No, but you did torture that guy in the airlock. Which I want to say Archer's actually done significantly worse than that. But, you know, if that's the one they want to pick to kind of harp on him about. Here, uh, here I see a couple of weeks ago, he created a clone and then harvest his brain. So, you know, <laughs> look at you, buddy. <laughs> like, look at you. What else? Uh, you got anything else in season three? I can really anomaly. Uh, <laughs> you turned into a bird and made someone eat bugs. Archer has to pick his crew member. He obviously picks himself. Kind of what you expected him to say, no matter what. But then we get a really cool rope dope. This is probably the cleverest that Archer has ever been. I like the guy being like, "You sure you want to pick yourself? Because I'm giving you your ship back. Like I'm just, I'm only borrowing your ship until I can genocide the other side. Then, and then, you're, then you, you can get your ship back. And like you know, they're going to need a captain. He's like, no, uh, to Paul's fine, but I have a request." We have this device. We use it for dealing with hazardous material. And also, if we need to do uh, assisted suicides, it's really cool. And I'd ask if I could use that. And he's like, well, show it to me. And it turns out to be my favorite piece of torture equipment, 
and and euthanization device, and that is the transporter. Very clever idea. Archer puts together these guys don't know what a transporter is because their technology sucks. So if you earnestly represent this thing as de you know dematerializing things into nothingness because it's disintegrator, it's a disintegrator. They're going to fucking believe you because they have no context for otherwise. They don't know how to use it. They don't know what it is. This is novel tech that humans created. And we have very wisely not given them a full tour and shown it off as we do with everybody else. Uh, so I'm ready to die. I'm not going to say goodbye to anybody. I'm going to throw up some other red flags that you're going to remain ignorant to. And uh, he gets up on the transporter pad and says, you know, this isn't over for you. And uh, OK, you can kill me now. And then Paul kills Archer, because remember, part of the transporter is the killing part. It's an interesting I mean, we, we joke about it. It kills you and then it reassembles you. But like, yeah, man, if if you're going to pick a way to go out and you don't want to like, you know, OD on heroin or whatever in the space liberal future, like the transporter would be a pretty swell way to just finish things off like beam me out but never beam me back in space osama does a little prayer you know it's like okay i'm sim- sorry for your loss uh he's a good guy let's get on with it and of course archer is secretly uh just apparently in another part of the ship i i think he might have been in the like engineering area or something like that with a bunch of computers and he's texting people he's texting flocks he's coming it's up like- with it with a new op, which is you up, what you wearing? And he's trying to figure out a way to disable the organic explosives. Flocks lets him know, hey, you're, I'm going to need to scan one of these guys who wouldn't let me scan him. So he does the natural thing, which is he finds one and pummels him of the face <laughs> until he can uh, uh, drag him off into a corridor and scan him. <laughs> does not receive a head wound. So half chub the whole time. Mm hmm. And starts working his angle. But while that's happening, the Sunni uh, space Islam terrorists show up to blow up the Shia ones because apparently their dispute, according to the Doubting Thomas, is that uh, they have different timescales of when the universe was created, which is nine days versus 10 days, which I think we should make the episode title. I loved how petty the difference is. And that's uh, what was that original series episode where like the left side of my face is white, but the left side of your face is black. And like, yeah, and it is reflective of the from the outsider, somewhat meaningless seeming differences between sex in religion. Like this is not just Shia and Sunni Islam, uh, which is a a origin of uh, who the rightful caliph was. but like, you know, Protestant denominations can sometimes seem to have like relatively small differences between them and all that Anything, sort of thing. And you take gaming groups and arguments about rules and just pedantic little PlayStation shit. versus Xbox. <laughs> right. So it being it nine is. days versus 10 days. And the way the guy delivers the line, like even he's aware that this is like some silly shit to be murdering each other over. Uh, Archer co-ops, Mr. And Mrs. Niblian says. You need to help me because we both know that this is going to end bad for everybody, especially your kid. Archer's a shitbag. He's playing the fucking kid angle and saying this dude's a lunatic. We need to fix it because at the ending, Archer has fixed nothing. (laughs) And we'll get to that. (laughs) Uh, But they go. All right. Uh. On the bridge, hey, we see the enemy faction. There's three ships, and the Jamat's like, cool, let's go over there and fucking beat their asses with this sweet. There's five of them. There's five of them. They blow up two of them right away. Just blowing them up. You wouldn't know it by looking at these space Amish guys, but they're pretty strong. Because when they fly up and they go to target the, the, the junky little ships and start hammering them with those hot shit phasers, to Paul tries to fight him and go, no, we're not doing this. And then she just gets grabbed by the arm and, and regulated back to the corner where she can't do anything here. I thought Vulcans had like the strength of like a gorilla with the strength of 10 gorillas. But no, 
She's Dude, easily overpowered. Every single woman is vulnerable <laughs> when you grab them on the arm like that. It is the weakness of every single female. We've established this throughout the canon of Trek. When you grab them right here on the on the forearm, all their powers are wasted away. Doesn't they're matter actually, if you're doesn't matter if you're seven of nine. Doesn't matter if you're T'Pol. You're done. They're all soon type androids, but they're off switches on their bicep. Yes, that's all women in all of Star Trek. They hammer the shit out of these ships, and it's actually pretty cool to see Enterprise have the upper hand in the fight. They just start wrecking them. Um, Archer gets Reed out of uh, his quarters where he's been confined because he would like someone running around the halls with him who doesn't know how to hold a gun. And then they go get the Makos. Who do know how to hold guns. (laughs) They wouldn't know how to do guns. But unfortunately, the Makos they end up freeing are the same ship bags from North Star. It's that girl who got beat up real bad. Gets up beat up real bad again. Gets beat up real bad again. And when you've got Reed finally winning fights, fist fights, while the Mako's getting their ass kicked, that's a bad look. That's a real bad look. The I I the Star Trek fist fight that occurs between Reed and the random terrorist in the hall is like an absolute classic of the genre. Okay. Absolute classic way over dramatic. Lots of judo throws, right? <laughs> because it's very kinetic. And then like the punches, they're not normal punches. They're punches with 150% extra movement because that looks good on camera, you know? And I enjoyed every second because it's like, this is such Trek fighting nonsense. Cause you, you're not doing a whole lot. You're just kind of rolling around and then throwing like three or four fake punches at each other, but they just have to sell it with the, with, with what they have and they do their best. And they're very enthusiastic. This is the biggest gunfight that we have seen where there's two sides shooting at each other with phasers particle weapons right there was a lot of gunfire back in the resident evil uh vulcan zombie ship but i can't remember the last time that there has been this much i shoot my laser at you you shoot your laser at me pew 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 pew. so as i'm watching the gunfight portion of uh, the run and gun with archer and reed versus the 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 space zealots in my mind i'm comparing it to Picard season three. And I talked about the difference in presentation of of a line laser gun versus the explosive almost gunfire of the uh, projectile phasers that they're using. And the projectile phasers tend to just seem more cinematic and interesting on camera than the Dustbuster style. Yeah, but like, man, I just... And I don't maybe it's foolish nostalgia or what, but like I like the the laser line phaser more. It it seems more sci fi. It seems a little hokey, but it's it's a warm, familiar thing. And I don't I think the realistic gunfire gets a little too real and it makes me feel bad about it. Does, does it like, not anxiety, but just like, God, this reminds me too much of real life. You get that at all? Like there's something comforting about Berman era particle weapon gunfights. I get what you're saying in that it makes it feel more like not reality and more like I'm watching fiction. I'm watching something in the future because it's not like the things we have, whereas the particle style weapons are like the things we have. But I, I think that there's a compelling logic to the particle style weapons just creating a more exciting scene. It uh, just you does. Mean, you mean the 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 projectile yeah. phaser, not the not the particle. Well, and, and I guess we're I'm we're referring to things with different terminology. But when I say particle weapon, I'm meaning like shooting a individual space bullet instead of a beam weapon. Yeah, the particle what... should be a beam weapon. So so beam versus bullet. Now that I'm also thinking about Picard, that last episode we watched where um, Changeling, uh, uh, spoilers. Uh, nasty changeling lady took over the Titan. Like, there's a lot of similarities there, right? And again, the the less gritty 
again, her executing crewmen and really being a savage terrorist versus this guy having one of his people blow people. It's a much softer, less R experience, rated R experience. And I think for, uh, I don't know, sci-fi TV, I don't, I don't need it to be as real and grisly as it was in Picard. I think you can still accomplish the same goal of like this person is bad and willing to do bad things without trying to create this, um, this emotional response, this, uh, this disgust response, a disgust reaction. I, I think it's all a matter of degrees. I certainly see what you're saying. I don't think the stuff in Picard bothered me. I think I like the visceralness in the right amounts. Um, Shock is, value. Yeah, like you have to pick your spots with it. You can't overuse it. I think in Picard it was just a little too much. Not not so much that it ruined the enjoyment of anything, but uh, I see what you're where you're going with that. Um, where this episode is going is to its climax, which involves a bad CG bat. Because as part of the op, Phlox has to put into the ether a agent that will knock out the uh, organic explosives. But to do that, he needs to get access to this panel. This is in this med bay. He has to do it without the local guy with the gun shooting him. So he releases his bat, which... Uh, is terribly animated and but distracts the looks like long T-1000 as a puddle of goo slopping around the fucking screen. It's terrible. terrible. Absolutely god awful. Uh, but, you know, Flox gets to slip in with the hypo spray and then go and do the thing. And ultimately, you know, Archer is able to storm back in charge, including a gunfight into the bridge with the Makos uh, with Reed. Again, Reed being the most effective he's ever been in this retaking the ship. Lady Mako, the you know the Mako we haven't seen the nipples for, not the blonde lady. Yeah, she fucking sucks. She needs to get shot and die because she is not a value add. I'm curious why uh, this big convoluted plan required disabling the bombs when we already know from um, was it Catwalk? No. Whatever episode where, you know, Phlox just kills everybody with carbon dioxide. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not Catwalk, but it, it's one of those. Epi- <laughs> oh, with Space Ghosts. Oh, that's right. Yes. Just killed everyone. And then we'll just bring them all back to life real that's quick. That's all you had to do. You don't you don't have to fucking neutralize the bombs. You just neutralize everybody. And, you know, let let. We'll, we'll sort them back out once we bring them back groggy. Standard Federation post-mortem <laughs> revival techniques, standard, my friend. Standard Starfleet uh, carbon dioxide. Speaking of assisted suicide, <laughs> just, you don't need to park a car in the garage. You just get flocks on the environmental controls. Yeah, the lady when, Mako gets bailed, bailed out by Mrs. Nibley. It's like the big dramatic reveal of Mrs. Nibley, like contributing to this mr nibley hands to paula phaser so she can shoot some people in the sides this is the first gunfight we've had on the bridge god it feels like it like active gunfight i think so yeah there's not a lot of good cover on the bridge those consoles they are not like full shielded so you can like shoot people in the legs pretty easy and when you've got a tickle gun you get some pretty choice angles uh they retake it reed gets on comms because uh archers somewhere else and they rejoin and there's still a dog fight going on even though enterprise is basically a sitting duck but the dude's guns are so shitty that even polarized hull is more than a match for their guns archer in calls him off and imprisons space osama and space osama is chilling in jail until they arrive back in their their planet and then is like, get in the fucking shuttlecraft. I'm taking you back and I'm leaving this shit behind. And uh, he's pretty smug and pretty angry. And we see why at the end with another terrible green screen cutout. So the dude did Jamat's like, you have really fucked up big time. God's plans were to take your ship. 
I was going to fucking end a war by killing the other guys with your sweet space lasers. And you fucked all of that up and you're going to get the mummy's curse and you're going to be so I'm going to be so sad for you because your life is going to suck. And then, like you said, they get him on the shuttlecraft and Archer drops him down on the surface. Everybody down on the surface because Archer is a piece of shit again. And if you're uh, in the mood for some bad CGI, boy, are you in luck for, yeah, for some LucasArts special here. So I guess we're we're watching a Return to Monkey Island or what? Steve this, show like this looks like bad backgrounds. No, this looks like a uh, uh, Command and Conquer one. Yes, they're surveying where a nuke just went off, and it is a complete shit show of a a, a wasted planet where it's just rubble everywhere except for some flimsy buildings still up. And then Archer hits us with some box text. As best we can tell, this happened eight months ago, which we know that these people haven't been home in a long time. That gets mentioned through dialogue. We've been gone a long time, uh, but our mission is righteous and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Eight months ago, somehow they wiped each other out. There's no cities left. Your religion was supposed to bring peace. Well, here it is. And... We're just going to leave. Fuck you. And just kind of leave them there on their devastated planet. Like, we're just fucking done with this nonsense. We're out of here. What? What? What is going on here? Well, the message is that religion is dumb. <laughs> like, that's that's actually the message of this episode. Wow, is- Archer, you really showed this guy who was responsible for killing one of your crew members. Yeah, he makes so a real I- fucking point of that, too. Of Like, you killed one of my crew members, you put five more in the hospital, you fucking took over on a ship, you deleted my database, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Like, short of stealing organs out of people and doing some real Vidian shit, which Janeway is like, I'm far away from home, I can't judge you. You've done a crime so heinous that uh, all the best I can do is just fucking toss you out on the nearest planet. Like, um, I don't know. Murder and, and and Grand Theft Auto are crimes we know well. You're a piece of shit. You've been leading this fucking religious war. You're going to use my ship, which should be, I'm pretty sure it will come to be like one of the big Starfleet like no-nos. Do not let our technology be co-opted so it might fucking wreak havoc elsewhere. I'm pretty sure Janeway almost blew up Voyager like six times rather than let powerful Federation technology fall into savage hands. So you killed my person. You were going to use my 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 starship as a super weapon. Uh, and I know that you're a fucking miserable piece of shit. And I'm going to leave you alive scot free on your planet, along with Mr. and Mrs. Nibley, who I know want out of sparkle motion. Miss Nibley specifically being pregnant. And because I'm a shitbag that let all those fucking people die in the Mr. Rogers sweater planet. I'm going to leave these two behind, even though they helped me commit treasoning. They did treason to, to help me win. I'm going to leave him here. So once we're gone, he can be like, hey, remember that time you threw a fucking phaser to the bad guys and they shot me up? We're going to cut your face off in some Mexican cartel shit now. You're in trouble. Well, you know, it's the end of the episode. They got to start. They just got to clean it up, man. This got to clean it up. It's got to be done. This is sloppier. What was the stupid Klingon? Versus the oil Derek guys. Uh, renegade. Renegade. Ren- renegade. Yeah. Like, yeah. Renegade. This is almost as bad of an ending as it might even be worse because Starfleet actually died. So unless this guy popped back up as like a fucking reoccurring villain, there is 0.0 reason why Archer would leave this piece of shit alive. Or at least he could he could have just taken the leader guy down to the planet and left him there and like disbanded the rest of the flock and be like, here, you guys can. Here's a derelict spaceship in orbit. You're free of this guy's influence. Go on with your life or whatever. But just an awful botch ending. So. There is some like overall, I feel like this episode had some really interesting scenes, some interesting ideas, a villain that could have really been good under better circumstances, uh, a, a good rope-a-dope with technology and Archer trying to find a way through the problem, and then just utter failure on both the start of the, cli- of, of the 
the real part of the episode and the ending. You know, like you just didn't quite figure out a way to direct this script in a fashion that made it work. Nor did the script itself explicitly spell out the correct way to handle. Uh, well, that's where the director steps in, right? I think the writing here was okay. I think it's just the direction on I don't establishing know, them as a threat and establishing their final fate that kind of fell apart. If I could bring Roxanne Dawson in and ask her and say, listen, if the script doesn't explicitly say the bad guy pulls a gun on the hero, can you as the director say, have the bad guy pull a gun and hold Archer at bay? Like, I don't know what the script said. Yeah, in true. Burman I don't era. know what. Yeah. What what what's her leeway? What's up to her interpretation and what has to be explicitly on this on the paper? Because in Voyager, if they couldn't, you know, change one word of dialogue without consulting the writer's room, who knows what the fuck's going on here? But the ending certainly, well, I don't know. You're right. There is interesting stuff that happens. The beginning sucks. The ending is even worse, but still, all in all... It fits well as a fluff piece within the Zindi arc. And I will take this over True North, uh, the one where they turn into dinosaurs, Carpenter Street. Yeah, this rates above anything that involves time travel or mutation. Sometimes there's been some good time travels. Uh, Moving on, traveling forward in time for us. Proving ground which will be a Chris Black. Man, we haven't heard David Livingston's name in a while. He's probably getting older at this point. Oh, yes. Thank you. Please, God. Yeah, Sweet you baby saw, Jesus. You saw the best important part. And Dorian's ship commanded by Shran unexpectedly. Gosh, I wish you would have told me just to not read this so it could have surprised me. Shran unexpectedly appears in the Expanse to help the Enterprise locate the Zindi primary weapon. I mean, it's uh, it's literally in the teaser, so I don't think I don't care. Was any... that would have been a hell of a teaser to fucking get blindsided by. Yes, please. Thank you. What I want. Finally. Give me that Shran. And you will get Shran when you listen to our review of Proving Ground next week here on Vidra, please take care till then. <laughs>